My dear guests, I am Mr. Raw, your host. Welcome to Fantasy Island. It is a pleasure and honor to break bread with you on this delightful afternoon. Listen, folks, there's one of them newfangled horseless carriages coming. Hey there, everybody, this P.T. Cop on a mind revolution. Leading you out of the rabbit hole one grain of truth at a time. And welcome, welcome back to my podcast. For me, today is... Today is this fine day. This day is May 23rd at 12.35 in the morning of 2022. And I'm greeting you from the far-off land on the north coast of America called Cleveland, Ohio. So thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading me. And welcome. Today's episode is called Welcome to Fantasy Island. As you heard the soundbite there from Ricardo Montalban doing his 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 little hook there for every show if you were alive in the 80s, 70s and 80s for Fantasy Island. And before I get to the main topic today, I am going to do something. I am going to do just some really crazy and wild things here and talk about a few things. But what, but I want to get to something here is I want to get to some shameless self-promotion. And now, P.T. Pops, shameless self-promotion. That's right, everybody. How American of me, right? <laughs> I've got to be the capitalist, right? Isn't that what we're all about here in the United States of America? No, seriously, if you want to help support this channel, if you want to somehow help me bring you better better and more programming, I'd like to ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, I've got a couple of books out there, books of fiction I've written. I've got one I'm really proud of. I'm proud of all of them, but there's one called Press One for Murder, which is a book of fiction about a guy named Jeremy who works in a call center in a bank in Akron, Ohio. Some of his customers are turning up dead, and the police think he's killing them off. It's a pretty good book. It's it's a novella. It's only about 150 pages. It's an easy read. It's a fun book. I've got a couple of other books. I've got music. I'm a songwriter. I've got a documentary I finished about a year ago called The Artist a Documentary. Check that out. And, um, you know, any any little bit of, of help would be greatly appreciated. I've got a series of T-shirts and things for sale on teespring.com. I'll put links to each of those in the description here. But, hey, you know, um, I'm sitting here, and I wanted to make this podcast because I'm I'm – I'm sitting here watching everything as it as it goes today in the news. And you know, I'm looking at everything here and I, and I named this program today or the the podcast today Welcome to Fantasy Island because there's so much BS going on in our country and around the world. It's just it's almost hard to keep up with all of it. And you know, when you when you log into Yahoo and, and you go to their, their homepage, which has all the, the main stories on here and the main headlines, like the, there's, there's a banner. When you look at it on your iPhone, like I'm looking at my, my Yahoo, there's a banner at the top with eight leading stories. The first one is Lie Now, 
lie now widely accepted as fact among GOP lawmakers. I don't even know what they mean there. Second story is golfer suffers brutal collapse of PGA Championship. So basically they're, they're trying to get you to click on that to see what happened to this guy. You know, why did he collapse? Number three, CDC, deadly hepatitis outbreak spread to 36 states. Number four, be careful what your PB&Js. I'm sorry, be careful with your PB&Js if you use this peanut butter. <laughs> Fifth story is U.S. states people are fleeing and moving to it. That's really an advertisement for Forbes.com. Number six, the prices placed. The, the I can't talk tonight. I cannot talk because it's 1230 in the morning. The priciest place to buy a gallon of gas in the U.S. Number seven, affordability worries persist as mortgage rates drop. Number eight, you're, you are either with us, with us, <laughs> I really can't talk. You are either with us or you are with Russia. Romney, he's stealing a line there from George W. You're either with us, with us or you're against us when, when he tried to convince everybody that we should invade Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'm not even going to go down the rest of the stories that they've got here as you scroll down about different people and different events and who's sick and who's getting in fights and stuff like that. Now, the primary thing I bring this up for on, on the Yahoo page isn't to pick specifically on Yahoo. It's just when you when you live in Fantasy Island, which I consider the United States Fantasy Island because what they do is they manipulate you on a constant basis. And they manipulate you with fantasy, and they manipulate you with fear. And I'm not going to go over the the fear part of it tonight, but almost every one of these stories on on the header of their page was about fear. It's about lies in the GOP. Someone collapsing playing golf. Deadly hepatitis outbreak. Be careful with your PB&Js. People are moving to other states. Gas prices are high. Affordability worries. And it goes on and on. So that's the fear tactic. Now when they keep you in fear, they keep you controlled. Because when you're scared, you don't know what to do. You, you make bad decisions. But the one thing you do, most people definitely do, is they listen to an authority figure to guide them out of that fear. And they don't think, they, they become irrational, and they, they don't really think, well, could this really, really be true? Could all this stuff be true? They don't think that. You just go, okay, all right, whatever you say, Mr. President, whatever you say, Mr. Governor, whatever you say, Mr. Ms. Secretary of State, whoever they're listening to, whoever, they're, whoever their leader is, but here in the U.S., what they do is they sell fantasy. And they sell it, as I've said in other podcasts, they sell, they sell fantasy from a very young age. And they start off with fairy tales. They start, start off with mythical creatures and with magical men that live in the clouds that watch your every move. And they, they get you paranoid thinking some of these invisible creatures that live in the clouds are watching you over your shoulder. And if you make one wrong step, you're gonna you're gonna be living 
in an alternative universe that's underground, filled with lava and pitchforks and, and deviled, deviled fork, fork-tongued beasts. But, but they put you in a fantasy world at a very young age, and then they get you to believe that anything is possible in this country. They get you to believe that if you just close your eyes and believe that if you wish hard enough and you try hard enough, anything's going to be better. Anything's, you know, going to work out. They get you thinking if you wish upon a star... Well, you can wish in one hand and crap in the other and see which gets filled first. They get you thinking if you wish upon a star that anything is happening. If you think positive thoughts, if you close your eyes and you think positive thoughts, anything is going to happen. Anything at all is happening. It can happen. And it gets you in this place where you think, in a certain way, like you think if you step in a crack, it'll break your mother's back. They get you thinking about superstitions. They get you thinking that if you um, are a good boy or if you're a good girl, that you're going to get what you want, right? If you pray to Jesus, the magical man in the clouds, he's going to heal your mother of cancer. And if, it, and if he doesn't, you just didn't have enough faith. And they keep, they keep doing this to you to the point at which you don't know what to think. You know, they, they really do. And the problem I have with all this is, is that it creates a fantasy world. It creates a fantasy world and everybody is like, oh, wow, you know. If if I just try hard enough, I can, I can become a football player. If I just try hard enough, I can be a rock and roll star and make millions of dollars. If I just try hard enough, I can become a movie star. I can become a CEO of a company. And they get everybody in this mindset that in America, that the American dream, the American dream is about finding a house, finding a spouse, getting a job, getting a spouse, starting a family getting a cozy little bungalow in the in the suburbs with a picket white fence with a golden retriever and 2.5 kids. Now back in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, that picture was really twisted. The American dream was predominantly for white people and it's predominantly a male-dominated society where the woman was submissive to the man and the woman stayed at home allegedly. My mother stayed at home and raised us kids. She didn't work until she had to work when my parents got divorced. And, you know, I wasn't around until 1965, but from what I understand, Mom got all dressed up and had the kids, and she had martinis ready for my dad when he got home and his dinner was cooked, and I don't know what else she did for him. But the part of the dream and the fantasy they don't tell you about back then is that back then women didn't have any rights. Up to a certain point in time, they didn't have a right to vote. And in the 50s and 60s, they couldn't get a business loan. They couldn't even get a loan. They couldn't buy a house on their own. They couldn't sign on a mortgage. Women weren't even allowed in bars. Black people were treated like dogs, treated less worse than dogs. But somehow they called this the American dream. I'm about to begin reading a book 
called The Fix Is In by Brian Tui. It's by Brian Tui. And it talks about the showbiz manipulation of the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and NASCAR. And this fits right in with my story here, that they, they create a fantasy. The whole country is like this. Now, if you're living in another country and you listen to my, my podcast, I don't think many people listen outside of the United States and the UK. But a lot of you that live outside the United States, you just look up to all of our athletes. I mean, I know they're, they're pushing the NFL in the UK. They're trying to get the UK to get in into, into uh, the NFL. And I think it's been proven in the UK that soccer matches are fixed. But I don't know much about soccer or rugby or cricket or anything like that, but I've heard they're all fixed. But here in America, you idolize us from what I hear that everybody wants to come here so they can become this, they can become that. You can become a professional athlete, you become a rock star, you can become a model, you can become a businessman, you can make millions of dollars and live happily ever after. And the problem here in the United States is this dream is pushed to such an extent that our young people believe this and they believe that you can you can grow up and become these things but what they don't tell you is that it's all showbiz and things here in this country they they, they tantalize you with all of these fake things that got you chasing after and I've I've now this gentleman, Mr. Tui, who wrote this book, I've watched a variety of interviews with him on YouTube and on po- I've listened to some podcasts and I can honestly tell you that he, he makes a real strong argument backed up by by facts illustrating that professional sports here in the United States are rigged. And if you're not from the U.S., I can tell you this, that for myself, I can speak for myself and everybody I've grown up with, most of the men and some of the women I've grown up with were obsessed with national football, with the NFL, with football, with baseball, and with basketball. There's a select cr- crowd here that likes NASCAR, and there's a select crowd that watches hockey, but football, football is the big one especially in Cleveland, Ohio, where I am at, the Cleveland Browns. People will die for this team. And I used to be like this. I used to be just a rabid Indians and Browns fan, not so much a Cavs fan. I've always you know, been on the uh, peripheral of, of, of being a fan with the Cavs, but the Indians and the Browns, I was raised by my you know, my mom liked the Indians. My dad watched the Browns. So it's it's been ingrained in me. We always would get together and watch the Browns game on Sunday. So sports, professional sports here in the United States is ingrained into us. It's part of our culture. And we're raised to be these rabid, ravenous fans, screaming, yelling, going crazy, betting on games, getting drunk, eating lots of food, and, you know, it could be any of the sports. And we're all hypnotized by these professional athletes. Now, a lot of this didn't really get this big until like the last 35, 40 years. Because 30, 40 years ago, athletes didn't make a lot of money. They weren't making the kind of money they're making today. 
You know, I think even Jim Brown, maybe not Jim Brown, but I've heard Jim Brown or some of the guys that he played with on the Cleveland Browns back in the 60s, the, when they weren't playing football, they were driving trucks. They were working in warehouses. I don't know what Jim Brown was doing other than beating, beating his girlfriends and his wives. And that's true. If you think I'm being sacrilegious making fun of Jim Brown, he's he's one of the first dirtbags long before O.J. I don't know if he ever killed anyone but there's lots of there's lots of um, court docs and things like that showing things that he's done. He's a real scumbag. But but our media builds these guys up like they're bigger than life. They're bigger than Christ. And can you imagine in this country? Can you imagine the outcry and the backlash if it were discovered that here in Fantasy Island that all American professional sports were fixed? And that they were nothing better than professional wrestling? Can you imagine that? I mean, what if Mr. Tui somehow, I don't think he's gotten the kind of traction he would like to have gotten off of his book. And I haven't started reading it yet. I've got it right here in front of me. It's a, It looks like it's a good read, too. This is about 300 pages long. And it's it's a it's a good book. I, I mean, I've seen lots of reviews on it, and I've seen lots of I've heard lots of interviews with him. But can you imagine the outcry? People here are so into the fantasy of professional sports; they will do anything for these teams. They live for these teams. People live for Sunday. They they spend their whole week working just to get to the weekend. So they can sit down and watch their favorite sport team, sports team from August and during the preseason all the way through to the Super Bowl in February. And NFL football is on Sunday night. It's on Monday night. It's on Thursday night. I can't. I don't know if it's on other nights of the week, but it's on at least three nights of the week. They own. They own Sunday, Monday, and Thursday night on on TV. They own it. But can you imagine how if people if 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 somehow this Tui were to get through to the masses to show them that they've been lied to and that the games are rigged and the games are fixed, people would be leaping from the tallest buildings and bridges they could find. Because here in this country, everyone is so deep in this dreamlike state living in, in a fantasy world that they don't know what reality is. And I can tell you from a personal perspective that when I first discovered that much of what we're taught in this country, not just about sports, but about our government and about our jobs and corporate America and our healthcare system, and I'm not talking political stuff, just the lies that we've been fed not just as kids, but as adults, and the things that I believed in. And one day I woke up and I went, oh my God, this is all bullshit. It's all a lie. When I discovered that everything was a lie, I was devastated. I was completely floored. And I can tell you this, that you know, my dad was an alcoholic. Both my parents were alcoholics. And I'd, I used to go to meetings, um, AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings with my parents. And I remember these men 
at these meetings giving their leads. Now, now, man, I think you have to proven to be sober for 12 to 24 months before you can give a, give a lead at a meeting. This is where you stand up and you tell your story. And you talk about how you... Um, how alcohol devastated your life and how you hit rock bottom and how you overcame it and you got sober. Why well, I remember hearing this one man saying that like when you're drunk, everything looks great because you're you're boozed up, you're hopped up on on booze. And the world looks great, everything's fun and everything is shiny and new and colorful and funny. Just like you know, when you drink, you you're just having a great time. When I was in college and I drank, I was having a blast. Everything was funnier. You know, the guys I hung out with were great. And, and But I can tell you this, that this guy said that once you stop drinking, the world looks really ugly. I don't remember his exact words, but it, basically he was saying that when he stopped drinking, everything looked ugly because he was using alcohol to take the pain away. And when he stopped using alcohol to pain, he, he realized everything was painful. He realized everything was ugly. Nothing was quite as beautiful as he thought it was. And that's exactly what happened to me when I realized that almost everything that we strive for and look for and and dream about in this country is a lie. It's all a lie. It really is. It's, it's, It's all a big, big lie. And I don't know if people in this country could handle the idea that their sports teams are fake, like professional wrestling. And and I think the very sad thing about Fantasy Island here, and this aspect of Fantasy Island, uh, professional sports, is that the games appear to be rigged and controlled based off of what I've seen this uh, Brian Tui talk about and the little bit I know about his book. But it the sad thing is, if they're rigged, the injuries that these men suffer are real. The injuries to their mind and to their body and to their souls, in some cases, is devastatingly real. And I uh, find it you know, interesting to think that these men sacrifice their lives from about the age of 10, they start playing football. And they stop playing when they're about, you know, I'm betting like the average NFL football player retires when he's probably mid to late 30s. You probably get maybe 10 good years if you're lucky, if injury doesn't take you out sooner than that. And most of them are physically so messed up that by the time they're my age in their 50s, they're walking with canes, they've got replaced knees, they've got replaced hips, they've got back problems, neck problems, their, their brains were all scrambled from getting their brains knocked around from trauma all the time. And, and these men have fallen for it in a way. If they didn't already know it was rigged, think of the men that go into it thinking it's all real. And then they get hurt. You know, life-threatening illnesses or lifelong illnesses and injuries and ailments, they've been used by these billionaires to be their bitches. And I'm not saying these men are bitches. They're not. They're tougher, far tougher than I am because I quit football in high school. I'm saying that they're being used 
as bitches and slaves, regardless of the color of their skin. These men are being used to entertain us so these billionaires can make more money and have more yachts and have more more sexy women on the side. And, you know, I didn't want to talk about sports, really. But one, one, thing, one thing they talk about here is becoming wealthy. Here in America, in the land of, in, in Fantasy Island, one thing they talk about is getting wealthy. And I was doing some research on this and went crisis. But part of the Fantasy Island disease here in this country is, is about getting rich, not just becoming an athlete. You're, you're going, if you come to America, you've got a chance for gorgeous men, gorgeous women, lots of money, get wealthy, have a big house, have a fast car. The sky's the limit here in this country. You couldn't dare do this in any other country. It's not possible in England or Mexico or the Philippines, only in America. I guess this never happens anywhere else. But one of the things they talk about is owning a restaurant. So what I did is I did an analysis of the restaurant chain Subway that makes Subway sandwiches or the submarine sandwiches. And I went to their website to pull up some financial data on what it takes to get started with your own Subway franchise. The franchising fees, the percentages you pay, how much it costs to start a Subway sandwich shop. Now, Subway is a massive worldwide establishment. It's a worldwide restaurant with almost half a million employees worldwide. They've got all kinds of employees. So if you look at the numbers in these, this will prove to you in one way that the American, quote, dream, unquote, is a lie because you're not going to become a millionaire with the Subway sandwich shop franchise. But they're going to try to tell you that you're going to be financially well off if you start a restaurant, if you buy into one of these big nationally or worldwide franchises. And I'm not just picking on Wendy's. I happen to pick Wendy's because they're one of the smaller, less expensive franchises to start. You want to start a Wendy's. If you want to start a Wendy's, it costs almost like $2 million to start a Wendy's. It's a lot of money. But Subway's one of the lower end, cost-wise lower end, establishments, and it, it'll take you a long time to ever make your initial investment back. They've got frequently asked questions on there, and one of them is, how much does it cost to open a Subway restaurant? Now, a, a Subway, if, you've, never, if you've, you've all been in one probably, they're really tiny little stores. They just have a couple of tables and, a, you know, maybe two people working behind the counter. I bet you it's no more than what maybe 2,000 square feet if you're lucky. Maybe, let's say it's 1,000 square feet. So the total investment says here on their website is how much does it cost to open a subway? The total investment is an estimate estimated $116,000 to $263,000 in the United States and $102,000 to $234,000 in Canada. That's just to get started. And then the next question is, how much are the royalty and advertising fees? Because you have to pay royalties to use the Wendy's logo. I'm sorry, not Wendy's. I'm talking about Subway now. I'm sorry. If I said if I said Wendy's, I meant Subway. Th- these are numbers from Subway. This is not Wendy's. This is from Subway. How much are the royalty and advertising fees to use Subway's trademark? 
and name and all that stuff. The franchise franchisees, the people that own the franchise or or um, operate the franchise, pay twelve point five percent every week. That's gross sales minus the sales tax, and eight percent goes towards the franchise royalties. Four and a half percent goes towards advertising. Okay. Now keep in mind that that these numbers aren't including taxes, insurance, utilities, and I'm not sure if the initial startup costs include wages for employees. You know, in the initial scene here in America, well, here in America, it's the initial $263,000. I don't know. I don't think wages are included in that because, I'll tell you a story, we had a neighbor that lived near us, uh, an Indian couple from India. And they uh, allegedly, they told us they owned eight Subway sandwich shops here in Northeast Ohio. That's a lot of Subway shops. And we'd been in two of their shops because they were close to our house. And their family worked behind the counter. So I'm guessing, my wife and I are guessing, they had their family working there so they didn't have to pay them salaries. They probably were working for free. I don't know, but... That's probably one thing you're going to consider is how are you going to afford the initial startup cost of 263000 plus pay employees and taxes and insurance and, you know, utilities. You're going, to, you're going to have electricity in a place. You're going to heat the place. You've got to cool it. So what I wanted to do here is to try to dispel this fantasy island, fantasy island syndrome here in the United States is try to give you an idea of how hard it would be to become a millionaire at a Wendy's. I'm sorry, I keep saying Wendy's. At a Subway. At a Subway sandwich shop. So let's let's just say, not just $263,000, let us say it's it's $300,000 just for an even number as startup costs, costs at Subway. And let's say the typical sale for the average customer is $10 for a sandwich drink and a bag of chips, like a sandwich meal. So if you take $300,000 divided by $300,000 initial startup cost, divide that by $10 for your sandwich meal, your your sandwich drink and a Coke, or a sandwich drink and chips, That's th- you'd have to sell 30,000 sandwiches, sandwich combo meals, just to break even. 30,000. So, so how long would it take you to break even? In one year... You'd have to sell 30,000 sandwich meals. That's 2,500 sandwich meals a month or 83 a day. Now think about this. Now I know Wendy's does site surveys and they, they study traffic patterns and they look for the best places to put their shop. That gives it the, the greatest exposure to the most amount of people. But I can tell you one thing. There's, there's a sandwich shop, Subway sandwich shop right down the street from me. And it's in a not a very good location. It's in a it's in a strip mall that's almost empty. There's like a music shop in there and somebody that gets their nails done. And it's across the street from a bar that uh, cooks food. And next to that bar is um, like a Seven Eleven. And next to that is a pizza shop. Next to that is is um, a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> and next to that is. Um, I can't remember. There's some other food store in there. And it's at a busy intersection, but it's very hard to get in and out of there. 
you can't turn left out of this place. You have to, you, if you go in there, you have to turn right and go around the block to get back home, so on, so on and so forth. But location is a big issue with these places. So you'd have to sell 30,000 sandwich meals in a year or 2,500 a month and 83 a day. That means you'd have to have, you know, close to 100 people walk through your door every single day for a year just to to pay off your initial investment of $300,000. And that's not including utilities. That's not including, you know, salary. I don't think it's including salary. So let's take it out two years. So if it, let's just say you're probably not going to get those kind of sales in the first year. But what if it was two years? What if you're only, but what if, what, let's say for instance, what if you're only selling 50 sandwich meals a day? Okay, that's $500 a day times 365 days in a year. That's 182500 in a year, but that's not 300000 So my point being, you've got the huge, huge amount of investment up front. So number one, if you're a type of person that's going to want to do this, you're going to have to have some serious cash in the bank or investments, or some type of liquid, something you can liquefy, liquid investments that, like real estate or an equity line you can take out of your home and your business to start this up. You'd have to have some money in the bank. You'd have to have some serious collateral or 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 have millions of dollars. If you're just a schmuck like me and my wife and you do this, you're going to be in serious, you know, you're going to be in a whole lot of, in a whole lot of, pain and hurt if you if you this sandwich shop doesn't take off and so if you spread this out over two years it, it, the point being is that if you include salary if you include all the other things on top of the initial startup cost of 300,000 it's almost impossible to pay the initial investment down especially if you took a loan out for it. If you took a loan and you're paying interest on top of that, you're not getting rich quick is my point. It's going to take you forever to pay down the initial investment of $300,000 on top of paying employees, on top of all the insurance and the liability costs, if you see what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm guessing projections, economy, things like that, I bet you it's going to take you anywhere from three to five years just to pay off the initial investment of $300,000 before you start making a profit. Because the first person that's going to get paid is the Subway sandwich people at the corporate offices. Then Uncle Sam gets paid. Then your employees get paid. <laughs> and my whole point to this is, part of the dream here in this country, of Fantasy Island, is about getting rich and starting your own business and be your own boss and do all this stuff. And if you just click your heels and you just try hard enough, you're going to make it. You're going to be somebody. But it's... And, and they always give these examples of ways to do it. Become a football player. You get rich. Become a rock star. You'll be rich. You know, become an entrepreneur. Start your own business. You'll get rich. Flip houses. You'll get rich. 
You know, they make it seem so easy and straightforward and anything's possible here and here in the land of make-believe. But quite frankly, I don't know how you could ever, you know, make millions out of a subway shop. I mean, I, I guess you could. I guess that once your initial investment of three hundred grand is paid off, let's say it takes you five years, and hopefully you can find employees, hopefully you can find family members that want to work in your shop so you don't have to pay them, and you just feed them or something. I don't know, I don't know how that would work legally. I think you have to pay people if you've got them working in the shop legally. I, I don't know how that works. But, okay, let's see, the first five years goes by, and you've got the $300 paid down. You still have to pay employees and pay, you know, I don't I don't know if you're paying for the structure. If they build a structure, they put it in an existing structure. I don't know how that works. But then everything above and be, everything above and from that, after that's all paid off, is, is profit above and beyond utilities and insurance and, and Uncle Sam and taxes and all that stuff. But you'd still would have to really. I mean, let, let's say after, after you paid off this three hundred thousand dollars, and let's say you're only selling five hundred meals worth of meals a day. You know, I you'd be pulling in one hundred eighty-two five hundred, one hundred eighty-two thousand five hundred. That's ten dollars a day, times five hundred meals a day. So I'm taking ten times. Um. Fifty. That's uh, that's fifty meals a day. That's five hundred dollars a day, times three sixty-five is one hundred eighty-two thousand five hundred. But that's not that's before taxes are taken out. I mean, yes, that's before taxes. So let's say you know you got to pay taxes on that. It's a minus. Let's say taxes twenty-three percent. At least one hundred and forty thousand five hundred twenty-five. Let's say you've got two employees, and you're paying them fifteen bucks an hour, and they're working. Let's say they're working between the two of them. They're working. Um, I don't know. Let's say it's eighty hours. Fifteen dollars an hour times eighty. That's twelve hundred dollars a week. Is that right? Yeah, that's 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 twelve hundred dollars a week times four. That's forty eight hundred dollars a month <laughs> times twelve. That's fifty seven thousand six hundred. So if you got your I, I had a hundred and forty thousand minus fifty seven thousand. You're you're left with eighty three thousand. And some people who who have no money. Who don't know about money? Well, that's 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 a pretty good chunk of change, but you know, you still have to pay utilities, <laughs> you still have to pay insurance. You're 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 probably going to end up making sixty grand a year after all is said and done on a on an average year. You're not going to get how to get wealthy off of that. I guess if you open up multiple stores and you know how to get it down, and you know. But my point to the whole podcast today isn't isn't about. Subway or Wendy's or the NFL. It's that they tell you that anything is possible in this country, and I guess anything is possible. 
But the chances of the things that they promise actually happening are so infinite, you know, infinitesimally in, uh, so, um, <laughs> I can't think. They're so small. There's such a small chance of these things happening. Because infinitesimally, how do you say that word? Uh, inf- in- infinite, infinitely, infinitely small. Um, and you come to this country and you, you can't do it. You're going to feel like, oh my God, why did I leave? I got to go back to my homeland, but now I have no money. I can't get back home. A lot of the people around me, a lot of the lot of little, you know, quickie mart type places are run by Indian or Middle Eastern people. And I'm assuming they came to the country with money already. I don't know if this is a stereotype on my behalf, but apparently they, they have some cash to come here and they open up a grocery store. You know, and it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what, what to think. It's, it's getting to, it's, it's getting to be re goddamn ridiculous. And that's the whole point to my, to my podcast is to, to make you think a little bit because all we have is each other. The corporations are going to tell you, no, 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 no. All you have is Coke. No, no, no. All you have is Burger King. All you have is Ford and Chevy and all these things we want you to buy. And if you feel bad, take an aspirin. If you're not feeling good, go to the doctor. They'll get you hopped up on something that gets you feel good. You know, they're going to tell you, no, no, no. They, They don't want us to think about each other. They don't want us to think about helping each other out and being kind. They want us angry. They want us mad. They want us paranoid. They want us scared. They want us chasing after carrots. They've got you chasing after carrots. They're, they're, they've got you chasing after the wind. Most people never achieve the financial status that they dream of, not because they don't try hard enough, but because they keep you in, on this hamster wheel. They keep you on this treadmill trying to run somewhere, but you're never going to get rich working for someone else, they'll say. So they say, go to work for yourself. Well, I've, I personally have tried to go out and work for myself, and I've never figured out how... The numbers work because, like I've proven here with with uh, Subway, you have to make an initial investment. You have some type of a business plan that'll turn around and pay off your initial investment, and then start making on top of that. But myself as an artist, how do you do that? I mean, there's not a huge market for fine art. It's not like people are, are like the average person. I'm not talking about millionaires that, or billionaires that are buying rent, you know, Renoirs and Monets and Manets and Van Goghs. I'm talking about just the average schmuck who lives on the street down from you. They're not out running around going, I say, let me go buy some fine art today. Lovey, lovey, there's a fine art store down the, down the road. Let's go buy some fine art. People don't care about this shit. I'm finding that most people don't know anything at all about art. I've met more people that don't know anything about art or composition or color or the difference between 2D, you know, two dimensions and three dimensions and perspective, have absolutely no clue. They wouldn't know a good piece of art if it hit them right in the ass. I've never figured it out. I don't know, lots of people that are artists and nobody's making a living at it. But you can keep trying. I guess. I guess you can in commercial art. 
I guess you can as doing web design or gaming, gaming design, I guess, you know. <laughs> but the point is, is that they, they, they feed you these fantasies. It's a fantasy, one fantasy after the other. And it gets, it gets really crazy. And it gets really old because when, when you wake up to this, like I said, the alcoholic stops drinking, the world looks like when, when I woke up to all this, everything looked so depressing to me. I was so depressed. I was so like, oh my God, it's all a lie. You know, it didn't matter where I turned, whether it was going to church or relationships or sexuality. It's all designed to keep you distracted. From what, I'm not certain. I don't think they want people to have freedom of thought. But I realize that the government's lied to us. And this isn't paranoia. I mean, if, if you are woke, not woke, if you've awakened to this and you've finally seen the truth around you, you go, oh my God. The things that I wanted in life aren't anything like I, you know, thought they would be, especially if you if you get those. It, let's say you wanted to become a millionaire and you get to become a millionaire. Well, now all of a sudden, you've got a whole different ball game. But nobody prepares you for that. They don't tell you, well, when, if you win the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won $50 million, we got Uncle Bob and Aunt Sally and Grandpa and Grandma and the next-door neighbor calling you up saying, hey, can you pay off my mortgage? Can you help my kid who's got a broken leg? Can you help my mother that's on dialysis? Everybody wants a piece of you. But nobody tells you about the drawbacks of being rich and that, that you've got to have somebody handle the money and watch over the money and make sure it's safe and make sure that that person isn't stealing money from you. So it becomes a whole different mindset. It becomes a whole different, oh my God, what do I do with the money now? They, they keep you doped with this stuff. They keep you doped with sex, religion, TV, fame, and fortune here in Fantasy Island. They don't want us to know that all we have is each other. And when I first saw this, I was depressed. And when you first start to see this, you're going to become depressed. And if you're not able to deal with it, it's going to be a rough road. Because it was rough for me. And I discovered this back back in 2002. I started to see a glimpse of it. I knew something wasn't quite quite right with 9-11. I, I always questioned the official story. And it wasn't kind of conscious, but I kind of felt uneasy. But I'm like, what those buildings fell? Why did those fall like that? This, that's kind of weird. But everybody around me is like, oh, you're crazy. Don't don't, don't, don't question that. No, they, they, these horrible people that live in a cave did this box cutters, and it's all there is to it, Pete. Just let it go. And I'm telling you, when you start to see this, when you start to see this all a fantasy they're building... And they're distracting you. You're going to start to feel awful, but you're going to start to see there's other things you can focus on that are more meaningful. Your wife, your kids, the dog, the cats. Go for a walk in the woods. I, you know, I lived in Arizona because I was convinced that I had to leave Cleveland and move to Arizona to be in a newer city with beautiful skies and beautiful people where I could make more money and have a nice house. And I tell you what, I hated it out there. It was awful out there. But when I came back here to Ohio where there's oak trees and maple trees and willow trees and pine trees everywhere, I just, I am, been back almost 10 years and I'm in love with Ohio. I'm in love with maple trees. 
I hugged a maple tree when I came back. I love the rain and the snow. There's so many other things that I see now that are far more war- more important than how many women I can have sex with, how much money I can make, with how many fast cars I can get. Because sooner or later, that new car smell wears off. Whether I'm speaking literally about a car or figuratively about a woman or a new house or a new relationship or a new job, eventually that newness and the excitement wears off. And you're just sitting there going, oh, shit, I'm in another crappy relationship and another job in a different city. And you might say, well, you're just a pessimist. No, no, look at it. It's, this happens. The new car smell wears off. You start to take things for granted. Well, don't. There's things right now you're taking for granted because you're chasing after the carrot they're dangling in front of you so you become rich or you can become famous or you can become an NFL star and or a major league baseball player, or you can become a rock star, or you can become a business owner. You got a wife, you got kids, you got brothers, you got sisters. You know? I've got two brothers and a sister, and they don't speak to me. And one brother hasn't spoken to me in 31 years. I haven't seen or heard from him in 31 years. I have a couple of ideas why. But most of them are off on their own little their own little escapades in life, and, and they think they're clever and they're all that, you know, and I'm, I'm the crazy uncle. But in the meantime, they're doing their own thing and they think they got it all figured out. Well, I happen to think I got it figured out. And I have happened to see things differently than most people. But most people are blind by the fantasy of this. So, you know, I, I don't know. The the whole thing is maddening to me because I see it differently. I know a few people. I have a friend, my friend Laura, who's probably listening to this. Laura, if you're listening, and you're still listening because I've been rambling for like an hour now. Hi there. Hi there in Houston. She's seeing it. She, she just got out of her marriage, and she's seeing, you know, the lies of relationships and about the things that get you chasing after. And she's struggling with it too. She's kind of new to it. She is and she isn't. But we're both, we both struggle with, with the lies. And it distracts you. It gets you way off into the woods, way off the beaten path. And you're lost and you let everything go. And you let some idiot run your life, whether it's a spouse or a boss or a rock star or, you know, it's crazy. I mean, when I was a young kid, I was obsessed with the Beatles. Just obsessed with this band. It's all I thought about. It's all I wanted. It's all I would listen to. It's only rock music. It's the only music I would listen to. And I still love their music, but I don't love them as men because I woke up and I woke up and realized they're just schmucks like me that happen to get famous and write some songs. But they have, excuse me, they're both a microphone. They have some serious flaws, John Lennon especially. This was not a saint. This is not a guy that should be held up as Christ-like, and I don't think he wanted to be looked at as Christ-like. But, but the myth of these men, I bought completely into it, hook, line, and sinker, until I was about, seriously, until I was probably about 40. And then I started to wake up, and I went, oh, Ugh. I don't really want to get to know these guys anymore. You know, 
I don't know what they really have done or haven't done in life, but I don't know them. But but it's the same thing, you know, I was I was living in a dream world. I was living in a dream world and I was all of my life was was manipulated by you know, the mighty odds. And when I say mighty odds, I mean everything you see in entertainment and in politics is a lie. They're all making stuff up so so you'll follow them. You'll buy their records or you'll buy their movie or you'll vote for them or you'll you know, you'll buy their cars or their shoes or whatever. Everybody it's it's all a gimmick. It's all pushed to keep you distracted. But once I woke up to it, once I woke up to the lie of the myth of the Beatles, or the lie of the myth of the politicians, or the lie of the myth of Hollywood or network TV or the or the national news, and I woke up that it was all just entertainment. It's all there to, to keep you bedazzled, to keep the revenue coming in, to keep the advertising dollars coming in, to keep you medicated. I went, oh, fuck. To th- you know, to think of the weird relationships I was in with women, and I tried to get them to do weird sexual things in the bedroom because that's what I had seen in porno. You know, as, as a kid, I'm 56, and every single guy I know we all discovered pornography at a very young age. Most of us discovered it probably pre-teens. I saw it for the first time when I was seven. There was a dirty couple of dirty magazines under my dad's chair where he sat and watched TV. Now, I don't know if they were my dad's dirty books or dirty magazines or if they're my brother's. But there they were, and there were naked ladies in it, and I didn't know what naked ladies were. I'd never seen a naked lady. But it influenced me. And I, I saw again when I was older, 10, 11, 12, it, it kept, you know, reoccurring theme of stumbling upon these magazines. And it warped my mind. And I'd meet these women, and I'd be like, hey, you want to you wanna put on some thigh-high boots and swing from the chandeliers while I grease you up in Crisco? And they'd be like, no, why, why would I want to do that? I said, I don't know, I saw in this magazine, I think it'd be kind of fun, don't you? It's kind of hot. Uh, no, not really. I don't want to be covered in Crisco, and I don't own a pair of thigh-high boots. And, and and it's all a lie. Pornography is one of the greatest lies in Fantasy Island. It's a huge lie. Regardless of whether women are looking at the same things you're looking at or not, because pornography is designed to titillate, so you'll buy pornography. It's designed to get you hooked, so you spend more money on the product they're selling. And what I discovered is most most of the things I've, I've, I experimented with sexually <clears throat> were ridiculous. They're just ridiculous. I mean, in these porno movies that you see, where it's actually just fornication, where it's just penetration. Number one, the guys are all up now in the porno movies today. Guys are all on um, boner pills. And they take shot after shot. I've I've been to porno shoots. I've been to porno video shoots and porno adult photography shoots. And it's all a lie. It's, it's all complete lie. And the things that they're doing, you know, the women aren't really turned on. Many of them aren't. There's, it's all an act. So 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 you take this this fantasy and fantasy island that you see in a porno magazine or a movie or on the internet, and you take it up to to your girlfriend, and you're like, hey. How come you're not moaning like this when they put you in this position? I don't know. It, it doesn't really do anything for me. Is this supposed to make me excited? Well, yeah, I saw it in a movie, 
And when I put your leg over your back of your head and, you know, <clears throat> twist your arm backwards and turn you upside down and do it to you, it's supposed to be like, you know, earth-shattering orgasms. Well, no, 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 it, it just hurts my back and my leg. Would you, could you stop doing that to me? I mean, I, you know, it's it's really bad. But, you know, I guess I wanted to make this podcast to try to get people to think. And and if and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to turn it off. And if you do know what I'm talking about, you're going to agree. But somehow we've got to come to a meeting of the minds and get people out of the clouds, get their head out of the clouds and out of the dream world so they can focus on themselves and their, their families and get themselves healthy and their families healthy and their friends healthy make sure they're with healthy people because I think a lot of the pain and the suffering you see in this world, especially in this country, is derived from the fantasy world that they put us all in. They got us believing that a politician is going to save them, a rock star is going to save them, or somebody's going to come, and all their hope is put into the fantasy world. And when they come out of it, they're just, they're, they're devastated. You have been listening to PC Pop, well, a mind revolution, leading you out of the rabbit hole, one grain of truth at a time. time. And I hope, I hope I help some of you out there. I know you're listening. There's a few of you listening. Take care, and I hope you're all doing well. And I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Jason.